Sci-Fi for Me presents Jason Hunt and Timothy Harvey. This is the H2O Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome. Uh, a little bit of a delay tonight because of weather and a gremlin named Germain. So, um, <laughs> my name is Jason Hunt. Welcome, everyone. <laughs> Hi, I'm Timothy Harvey. And this is the H2O podcast live here on Sci Fi for Me TV. And hopefully. Uh, we don't get too much of an echo. Um, I'm kind of getting a little bit, I don't know if it's me or if it's just everything, but, uh, it wouldn't surprise me if it was everything right now. Um, no, I do not need to update YouTube right now. I need to be able to see <laughs> everything all that's happening at once. It's like, now, 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 do this, do this. All right. See, at least I have an excuse for things and it's this thing for those of you at home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah orange demon um because if i sound different tonight it's because um this one right here chewed through the microphone cord hi buddy uh this is hamish for those who have not met him this is my cat he's very orange um he also chewed through the lamp cord which means it's darker in here than it normally is um and of course it's very dark outside because it's storming here in kansas city yes if you are in the Midwest and you are in the path of what potentially are tornadoes, please be careful and uh, be safe. But um, it's there's there's we're at the beginnings, I think, really, of the storms that are coming in tonight. Um, they started earlier today, but uh, um, I think we're expected to get hit harder later yeah. in. The I, I so. think we're gonna get. I think we're gonna get some pretty, pretty, pretty bad stuff. Uh, the hashtag, if you would like to share your thoughts via social media, H two O podcast, the email address H two O at sci fi for me dot com, and tonight's uh, topic is uh, a, a, an opinion piece that was written by one of the grandmasters of science fiction. We're going to get into that into that in a minute. And uh, I just said into that twice. Use your words. I use my words. I use my words twice. Um, this, uh, this show, let's uh, say this first, and we'll say it only once. We are brought to you in part by SuperheroStuff.com, where you can use the code SciFiForMe10 at checkout. Get 10% off your purchase. A lot of good stuff over there. They just dropped a lot of uh, Dark Phoenix X-Men merchandise over there this week, so uh, check that out. And... Let us get into our topic because I think we're going to do maybe a truncated show tonight because obviously we're not in our usual configuration because travel being what it is, not very safe. Um, plus the weather, I imagine we want to get this done before the storms knock everything out. Um, but uh, the topic tonight, I, I ran across this on Twitter a while back. This is an editorial that was written by... Lester Del Rey, and for those of you who don't know Lester Del Rey, you should. 
if you are a fan of science fiction, you should know the name Lester Del Rey. You would at least know uh, the publishing imprint, Del Rey Books, uh, especially if you're a Star Wars fan, because Del Rey Books uh, uh, published Star Wars titles for a number of years. And Lester Del Rey started that company, and he was uh, a grand. He, uh, you said you told me Grandmaster uh, Science Fiction Writers of America Grandmaster in 1990, right? Right. Yeah, the awards were in '91, but it was for for the year of 1990. And um, he wrote an editorial, and this editorial was from September. September of 1953. And for those of you who are watching the show here on YouTube, I'm going to put it up on the screen. Um, hopefully you can read it, but I am going to read it to you. And then we're going to discuss it because it still is relevant today. It is uh, titled an, an Editorial on Ideas versus Story. And I'm quoting from the article now. Recently, a writer who was of the old school of science fiction started to tell us an idea for a story. Sitting beside him was another writer who began his work after the boom began. At the end, we sat staring off into space, enjoying the interplay of ideas in the plot. The young writer was also somewhat dazed. His comment came out with a kind of shocked disgust. You're crazy. Why would why you could get 50 stories out of those ideas? And when we stopped to think of it, he would have gotten 50 stories and probably have sold them, but he wouldn't have had a single story that was worth remembering. Yep, we're mourning the good old days in a way. We happen to like the kind of science fiction writing that gets one main idea and then couples in something else and adds ideas like a cat increasing the population. Most longer stories used to be like that. The writer usually had so many things in a story that he had to throw half of them away in the writing. There was a wild sort of excitement to it. Now, of course, the writers have learned that all you need for a story is one twist. They're very clever. We've seen ideas that were only a single paragraph in the older stories brought out, dusted off, given a literary frame, and written up to 5,000 or 50,000 words. And we still think the idea was better as just a minor but fascinating bit in a real story. We're somewhat sick of all the stories that come in with a nice economy of ideas covered up by words and more words that would look just as well in any other kind of fiction. We're still looking for the story that is done for the pure delight of seeing how much can be done to work out every possible angle and permutation, and where the writer isn't afraid that if he uses more than one idea in a story, he'll run out. Maybe we'll never print the story the old writer outlined for one reason or another, but we had a heck of a good time just listening to the angles he considered incidental. We rarely get the same kick out of a finished story nowadays. Now I get this is in 1953. There are probably 50 magazines carrying science fiction on the stands today, and in any given month, perhaps there are 15 first-class stories. I'm going to... Put up page two here, because now we're in page two. Fifteen first-class stories. The words in the others may be even prettier than ever, but what on earth, or beyond it, is going to keep the readers reading? The boom could be a fine thing if it were really delivering the goods to the potential new readers, but if the net reaction is one of ho-hum, this is going to resemble the classic real estate booms of old where everybody got frantically rich and then broke 
off nothing. There are a few writers who can still deliver the goods. To our way of thinking, Paul Anderson is getting steadily better, which means richer with ideas for the sheer fun of having ideas. Even some of his lesser work now has a feeling of gusto we've been missing too long. There are a number of others who also come through regularly, but they can't carry the whole field of science fiction alone. In the old days, <laughs> in the old days, Robert Heinlein wrote a story on ESP under another name. In it, he covered everything that he could crowd out of a fertile imagination on the subject. Today, we just read a story which was 15,000 Excuse me. Today, we just read a story which was 15,000 words long and devoted to the single bare question of what would happen if a telepath began to read his own unconscious. Nothing more. He finally went crazy. Aside from the fact that it was based on half knowledge of very doubtful psychology, it was also just plain dull. We've tried to avoid printing anything which didn't give us a kick in reading it. Sometimes we have to confess this has been tough going. Sometimes we've done what every other editor has also done, taken what was simply the best that could be had, even though it should be better. Now, though, we're declaring a small minor war against the idea that plot gimmicks are so precious they have to be hoarded. And we'd like a little assistance from any readers who agree that science fiction needs kicking back into the hands of men who write for kicks as well as for bucks, though no writer is worth more than he thinks he is. If you find a story you consider dull, or if you remember one that we've printed, or anyone else has printed, sit down and write your gripes to us. Frankly, we want ammunition to prove we're not alone, and to knock over the heads of some darn fine guys and excellent writers who'd have more fun if they'd stop hoarding the source of that fun, something to tickle the think tank. And incidentally, we're going to do our darndest to get that story the guy was telling us. Lester Del Rey. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb because there are some pieces of this, there are a lot of pieces of this, that could very well apply to everything now um, because there's a lot in this editorial that Lester Del Rey is complaining about that feels very much like what the Comicscape movement is complaining about. Quality of story. Quality of craft. Single ideas that are maybe not necessarily the Wreck'em Rock'em Roll'em Robot adventure stories of old. It's the same kind of complaints that we would see in the Sad Puppies group, when they were talking about the Hugos getting political on us, how certain ideas are worth more than other ideas as far as uh, what's acceptable and what's not. Um, and I see Mr. Harvey is twitching over there. I'm sure he's getting Well, the problem is, is that I, I, I don't see those connections at all. I, well, I, I think you are applying one argument to a different argument, and I would say that it's it can be done, but that's not what Del Rey is talking about. We happen to like the kind of science fiction writing that gets one main idea and then couples in something else and adds ideas like a cat. Um, let's yeah, see. Yeah, it's not what hang we're on, talking about. Hang on. Um, you, sorry, you're not. That's, you're talking about something completely different. Look, if you are... if 
We're still looking for the story that is done for the pure delight of seeing how much can be done to work out every possible angle and permutation. He's talking about good old-fashioned yarns, adventure stories, no, science that's not fiction, what he's talking about. science no, fiction he's, that have a uh, multitude of yeah, ideas. He's not, he's not ignoring those. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about ideas that are the difference between a single idea that is all the story is about. That's it. And that could be that could be applied to some of the things you're talking about, but not necessarily. So it's the difference between, and I think unfortunately part of this is we're running into now, is the media consumption, the way we consume stories. And I think for as much as as much as it's wonderful that the comic book movies are a thing, you can argue very, very strongly that if you put out a comic book movie, it's been stripped down from, especially if it's in an adaptation of something else, right? Right. So if you look at the Avengers Infinity War, the, the core stories that that is based on, how many issues, how many different things were explored, how many characters involving Thanos have been completely brushed aside so you can tell the core story of Captain America, Iron Man, you know, Thor and the Hulk, right? Right. Um, because that's where you end up. I mean, you want to include Natasha, you want to include Black Widow, but she's, you know, the arguments about, you know, how much of how much she ended up kind of disappearing. I mean, she died. She died, of course, but everybody else came back. <laughs> Spoilers. So, so you end up looking at you know, the stories, the, the richness and the depth and the, and the bazillions of ideas that were thrown against the wall, some good, some for some, you know, nobody wants a clone saga adaptation <laughs> in the movies, right? But, but the depth and the, and, but they went in all kinds of crazy ideas and they put them out on page. Mm-hmm. So when you're putting this stuff into a movie, this stuff gets trimmed down and condensed and squished. I remember reading a review that Del Rey wrote for 2001. Um, he didn't like it, by the way. <laughs> um, he, he did not care for the film. He thought it was dull. And and to be, to, to be fair, it's not a fast-paced film. No, it's not. It is a big idea film, but if you're getting bored with it, you're not going to have those big ideas connect. And it is greatly expanded on and improved on with the book. Um, and one of the things, of course, you look at, you look at a series like, say, okay, we're getting another Dune adaptation. Right. Okay. From Denis, uh, Denis Villeneuve. Yeah. And this is, this is really, really exciting because he's a fantastic filmmaker and he's very inventive, but there's part of me that's going, okay, but because how Dune is, you know, it's not a thin book. <laughs> no, it's not. And if you look at if you look at what say you got with the 1980s adaptation, mm-hmm. or the sci-fi adaptation, what gosh, ten years ago now, something like that, yeah. Um, and that was longer. It, it, it what doubled or tripled the runtime. Um, and neither one of them even came close to hitting all the ideas in that book. However you feel about Herbert as a writer, because there are some folks who are just like, it's too much. He's all over the place or whatever. I love him. Uh, I, I love I loved the first four Dune books. Uh, and 
the later ones, his, his last two to a certain degree. Um, but, but there's so many ideas in there about politics and religion and ecology and social structures and memory. And, and that's what Delray is talking about. It's this incredible wealth of ideas that you would get when you exploded so many of these things out on the page. And an author would dive into those things and run in all these different directions. But that requires a level of patience and depth that you can't get in the way we're consuming pop culture now. Well, Even in a show like Game of Thrones, where you've got, which of course has just come to an end, mm-hmm. not going to spoil the ending for those of you who, who haven't seen it, even though I haven't either. I've read all the reviews, and or not all of them, but enough of them. I know how the thing ended. Um, but you can't spoil Game of Thrones for me. Uh, because I haven't watched any of it. So when I sit down and watch the entire thing, no matter what I've learned and what I did, it's, it's a visual-based medium. I'm going to see things and experience it for myself. It's really hard to spoil something for me. Right. Um, but one of the biggest complaints about this season, I'm not going to talk about specific episodes, is about how much the big ideas got stripped down and the storylines ended up funneling in a way which was dictated by the end of the series. Not the end of the story, because the story isn't over. George R. R. Martin may never finish the series. <laughs> a very real fear that he's going to die before the story ends. But, yeah. the, but the TV show had an end point. And in this shortened season, they pushed it all in. And somewhere along that way, it's in, this is how it works. The story was condensed. The ideas narrowed down. You have an economy. You have to get, you know, bring the right number of characters to the end. You have to get rid of the extraneous storylines. You have to do all these things. Right. And no one has been happy. Fandom has been very vocal about their unhappiness with this season. And a lot of people were, have not been happy with the ending. These big ideas, this exploration... Um, is something that some science fiction writers did extremely well. Heinlein, of course. Um, Asimov, how many different ways can you tell a story about robots? Asimov set off to find out. I mean, so many, and then of course, as he as he was getting older, he decided to tie all of his books together mm. with a lot of big ideas. Yeah. Some of them worked, some of them didn't. Asimov. Asimov was a great idea guy and a great science guy. He was not always the best character writer. Right. Um, there was not, there's, there's not as much emotion in Asimov as you would find in some other writers. But these, these and sometimes it's, it's kind of insane. Heinlein at the end, um, you know, tying together every one of his books in this grand multiverse that was kind of insane. Um, but he never stopped throwing these crazy ideas out and then running with them. Right. You don't see that as much now. Well, you do. You do still see it. It's harder in short stories where you have an economy of word. And I think Del Rey, I think, was maybe a little unfair, a little, very little unfair there. Because if you have 500 words or 1,000 words or 1,500 words or 15,000 words, yeah. just a lot of words, really. I mean, it seems like it's a large number, but it's depending on how, that's not a long story, really. 
um, you may have to sit there and go, you know what, this is the one idea I want to play with. And that's every author makes those choices. But um, there's something to be celebrated when you're going after those big ideas and chasing them in every crazy direction. Because sometimes that makes for an amazing story. And sometimes it makes for a very disorganized, <laughs> ramshackled story. You're going, all right, this author needs to focus. And I think that, I mean, we, there's, especially then, when you look at what was happening in science fiction then, when you were looking at, I mean, I, it, it, it breaks my heart a little bit to hear him say how many science fiction magazines were on the shelf. Yeah. And, oh, what a, can you imagine, can, I mean, yes, the, the sheer number of, stories being put out and these, remember these were monthlies mostly right the sheer number of, of of short stories and novellas that got published in these things you know the fact that he got a lot of dross in with the gems um and the fact that authors were cranking stuff out i mean he also this is a guy who also championed the pulps so you have to bear in mind that some of the stuff that he was, some of the stuff that he really, really enjoyed and really championed as a writer are not big idea stories. Well, and you can't do a whole lot of big ideas in, in short stories. But I, I would say your modern day equivalent now is, uh, is what's going on with comic books with uh, the lack of sales. I mean, sales are down. Um, despite despite the fact that the that the 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 money numbers seem to be up, um, you know that can be attributed to uh, the indie comics boom that's been going on here in the last uh, the last year and a half. Uh, a lot of graphic novel sales, a lot of number one issues, but at the same time, you've got local comic shops that are still closing fifty or sixty a year. It's ten percent attrition every year. For the for the comic book shops, and you have a lack of sales at the newsstand. You don't go to Seven Eleven and pick up a comic book in the spinner rack anymore. You don't find them in the bookstore. I mean, the floppies, the the single issues, are not available anywhere anymore. DC's put in a little bit of effort into getting books into Walmart with those big hundred page things, but I most of those are reprints. Um, I don't I thought, know if it's. I thought I heard that that was a that was a thing that had been done, and they were. And there might. I don't think that's an ongoing thing. I'm I'm not sure if that's uh, if that's still going on. My understanding was it was it was still happening, but uh, I I could be wrong. Right. I was thinking I was thinking also I'd heard uh, that they were trying to, to do something in, in Target as well, mm. but I saw uh, I saw a video the other day. It was talking about uh, Marvel Comics back in the day, and and they had. Back back in those days, they were required because of the postal the postal service because of delivering you know, the single issues and the, and the delivery of subscriptions. They were sure. required to put a document, uh, a, a a report, a distribution report within mm -hmm. the issue. And and this was a Spider Man from 1983. Spider Man was doing 240,000 issues shipped every month in 1983 and now you look at comicron 
where they where they track sales numbers. And and granted, it's not sales at the at the retail level. It's distribution between Diamond to the to the retail shops. Sure. You're in tens of thousands now. And in the top 100, the the number 100 in the top 100, 18,000 books in April. And they're still saying that they're a successful industry. They're not. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that they don't listen to their customers. And they've taken the single idea, like, like Del Rey was complaining about, the single idea, and the single idea being for some – not all the books, but for some of the books, the idea is identity politics, and they're not telling good stories. And we're you know, and they're hiring people uh, because of who they are, and not not what they can do. And this is not I just in comics. I think you're grafting this onto. I think you're grafting something onto something he's not really talking about. Well, I think it's all of a piece. I think you can. I think I you think can. See, and, and I, you know, I, I could flip the identity politics things around because we come from different political angles here, because it works both ways. Well, yeah, but you don't see a whole lot of conservative books being sold right now because the marketplace being the way it is, the publishers aren't going to publish them. I mean, Chuck Dixon can't find well, work. Chuck Dixon, they would, I, they would hire Chuck Dixon if Chuck Dixon wanted to work. Chuck Dixon has not been offered anything. They won't. If they Chuck won't Dixon take his call. If Chuck Dixon, he, I, he's tried. I, he's tried. I saw an interview with him. Wrong. No, I saw an interview with him uh, not too long ago. Uh, uh, Clint. Oh, what's his last name? Hoover, uh, the 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 YouTube channel is called Sweetcast. He did a, a an hour long discussion with Chuck Dixon, and Dixon <laughs> Dixon cannot get work at the big two because of his politics. That's where I, we are now. I would be well, but has he gone to them and said, "I have a story idea"? Yes. What story idea? I don't know, but he's doing uh, he's doing a revival. He's doing a revival right now of Airboy. But he's yeah, great. Yeah, but he's having to do that completely on his own because he can't find work anywhere else. But the question is, is it, is it Chuck Dixon's politics or is it they just don't think Airboy is going to sell? No, it's Chuck, Chuck Dixon's politics. He's rebooting. Sure. Yeah, he is. Well, he might be, but he might not be correct, too. Well, I mean, if you're, if you're sitting you're, there saying you're Chuck, Dixon is, Chuck Dixon is available to work – and nobody but, wants but him. Airboy, but Airboy is a niche market. He came up with Air. He did. He decided to reboot Airboy after not being able to find any work anywhere. But it. But it's a consequence of the situation. It's not a cause of the situation. But it doesn't necessarily mean it's just because of his politics. There's, that is a sweeping generalization. Well, and and uh, and think, you okay. see, and this is and this is where we have this is where we have our problem because you want to just casually dismiss that this is an issue in the no. industry. No, I do not want to casually dismiss it. But you I do. Don't want to be this one issue that is this but only. This, but this, this one issue, this because this, it's happening. Except it happens. It's happening though. It's, well, happening it's happening in happening Some in people, books. Yes, it's happening in comics. It's happening in anime. It's happening in in all of these different industries. And because some of the, and and but the question is: Are some of these people doing it to themselves? Are they doing it, is it because of their politics, or is it because of the person? And sometimes you have to take that into account that the person who's telling you they're doing it to me because of politics well, is not 
reliable of narrator. Except I have not seen or heard any complaints about people's personalities other than if they're a conservative, they get called a Nazi. That's the that's the, the, that, the okay, but that that is a, that is very much a sweeping generalization. Yes, right? it is. Yes, it is, and it happens. Yes, it is. Great and need, and that's, we have to stop doing that because well. it's helpful to anybody's politics or anybody's opinion or anybody's working a gig if we're all doing it. And I realize that that is a very hard thing to do, but the fact of the matter is, is that some people it might be their politics. Some pe- people it's going to be their personality. I have not. I have not run across any. It's going to be the things that they said that they offended somebody who doesn't want to work with them or hire them because they feel like they're going to do it again and embarrass them in some manner. Okay. Well, let me ask you. Let me ask you this. Very, very hesitant about that. Let me. Let me ask you this question. Okay. So there is a book at DC Vertigo that is drawn. uh, I think it's called. I think it's called Goddess Mode. It's written by uh, Brianna Wu. And it's drawn by Robbie Rodriguez. Okay. Robbie Rodriguez, professional, working for DC Comics, mm-hmm. representing the brand of DC Comics, whether he wants to say he does or not. And that can be an issue. He posts to Twitter a photograph of his anal orifice, deliberately tagging and saying, hey, Ethan Van Skyver, this is what I think of you and your work. Okay, well, he And says, suffered uh, no consequences whatsoever. DC Comics should have, at the very least, taken some disciplinary action on him. But I he didn't. Disagree. I don't disagree. But they Either. didn't. They well, didn't. I'm, and I can't tell you that they're doing the right thing, because they're not. They should, have take, they should have taken disciplinary action. I don't care who's saying the awful thing. The awful person, they should take, they, you can say whatever you like. This is America. You can say whatever you like. Yes. But, but, but. But and, if, but if you are saying, that was not saying meant to be things, a pun or anything no, terrible. But like if you are saying those things in a, in an environment where people perceive you as a representative of a brand, whatever that brand sure. is, sure, Ap- sure, sure, sure. Apple, DC, but, Marvel, whatever, then you have to be held responsible for that. You should still have consequences for your actions. Yes. I don't, I don't care who you are, what you say and what you do ha- should have repercussions. And yes, I'm not saying that's a good thing that DC is doing that. You're not going to get me to say that, and I'm not going to defend them. Oh, I'm not do- trying to get you to defend them. But I'm just pointing out that this kind of behavior is happening industry-wide in multiple industries. And it's not just comics. It's not just books. And, and I think that some of this – you know, to go back to Del Rey's uh, opinion piece about a multiplicity of ideas and and a, a number of ideas in a story. Nowadays, when you have the political agenda trump the story, it doesn't matter how many ideas you have in the story because if the politics are wrong, you become a target. But the question I have when anytime this sort of thing has come up, and I've, I've, kind, of, I've kind of come down to view this because this is this is not this is a, a, a culture-wide thing. You could argue very strongly. Mm-hmm. The question is, what definition of conservative are you using? Because there are folks who are who, have, who walk around carrying the conservative <laughs> brand, who most conservatives I know 
don't want anything to do with. Funny you should say that. And and you end up with an idea that people who are what I would call maybe a Bob Dole conservative. Mm-hmm. Okay, because I'm a, I'm a Kansas kid. Um, you know, and much as much as I disagreed with, you know, my politics are much more liberal, but I, I respected Dole. Yeah. Um, you know, didn't always agree with him, but I respected him. And oftentimes I didn't agree with him, but I <laughs> respected him. Because, and, and he was a wheeler dealer. I mean, he was a politician. There's, you know, he's, he had certainly had his, you know, however you feel about politicians, but he also was a deal maker and he yeah. got things done, which is something that I think politicians need to be reminded periodically that's their job. Um, get things done, you know, do your job. Um, but a lot of what Bob Dole's conservative politics are not necessarily present in a lot of the loudest conservative voices right now. People, people, people who have the conservative label. Let me qualify that, okay? Because some of these folks I don't think are conservatives. I don't know. I don't know what they are. They're way over here on the right. Uh-huh. Hang on, hang on. I have something to show you. Because this right. this is relevant. You know, I can't uh, see you, right? I know, but everybody else will see. And if you're monitoring, <laughs> but see, if you're, are you monitoring? You should be monitoring this show so you can see the live chat. All right. So I have here a graphic. Uh-huh. Um, I tell you what, I'll do. Let me let me see if I can do this here. Um, let me do that. Um, and and what Tim is saying, uh, by the way, uh, I, I started all of the software in the wrong sequence. So you people watching can see us both, but Tim can't see me because the camera got snagged by um, by one piece of software before the other piece of software could see it. So I'm going to send this. I'm going to send this over here so Tim can see. All right, so so here here we have this this graphic. I, I picked this up from um, Tim Pool. This is out of Forbes magazine, uh, not Forbes, Pew Research Center. Mm-hmm. And if you look here, uh, and it should be on your phone now, this is a comparison from 1994 to 2017. The median Democrat, median Republican, as far as liberal conservative values go. Now you uh-huh. see, in the 1994, both lines are fairly close to center. In 2017, not so much. The conservative uh, median Republican line hasn't shifted very much farther to the right. But the median Democrat line, liberal line, has gone so far to the left. Now, this is Pew Research Center. This is not, this is not me. This is not, this is not, not relevant to what I was saying. But no, but it is, but you're talking about, but you're talking about people on the right. And the people that yeah. are now that are now the average Democrat, average liberal, are seeing people who are further to the right than they are, and even those people are who are that's liberal, not, left of center, are still not, considered too far to the right. Not what I'm talking about. That's not I, that's not what I am talking about. That it's I'm not disagreeing with their their. I don't. I haven't looked at their study. It could be completely valid. It may even be. I don't know. Okay. What I'm talking about are the folks who end up becoming what some people perceive 
to be the right, who are who, who are doing trying their best to be speakers for whatever they are believing and expressing. Mm. That and and this comes back to that the loudest voice in the room thing we talk about a lot, right? Loud, Online. And social media has a tendency to radicalize people because you tend to see the things that you only agree with and it, it just compounds on itself. Which is which is I mean, I it does not does not break my heart that I've been very little on social media over the last several years. Oh, I, I would I would home. get off, I would get off of it completely if we could. I, I work from home now and I still find it hard to get on Facebook. Yeah. Physically in front of my computer, a significant <laughs> chunk of the day. I find it very, very hard to get on Facebook. I went on Facebook today long enough to wish a friend of mine happy birthday. And that was only because I got a notification that it was her birthday. <laughs> so I remembered, which is sad. But yeah, that's the reality of it. And that's why I went on Facebook today. And and I think Facebook is a neat idea. I really enjoyed it for a long time. I got away from it because of my job. But especially over the last several years, where it has become so much a... Uh, uh, a place to go and have people yell at each other. Yeah. Um, I there are right now. I would, and this 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 is not a get off my porch, get off my lawn. You know, back in the day, blah blah blah. Except it kind of is in a way. As much as the advantages of having instant information, and instant feedback, and e instant access to great short stories and, and original fiction and all this stuff that the internet makes possible. There's so much free, good, original fiction that is put out for free by the authors, by the way, not yep. stuff that you're getting, you know, it's, it's, it's actually out, it's put out into the world by people who just want people to read their work. So much of that stuff is available now. It's wonderful. And I love the fact that that is available to us. But I also think that it has been a, it has been a terrible, terrible tool. And we've talked about this before. Mm -hmm. How people don't think before they respond online, and it turns into a vicious cycle on the left and on the right, and we call it. And every 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 shade of whatever in between the extremes, the ordinary people, most of the ordinary people on any political stripe do live in the middle. Yeah, and this is where we this is where we all have this you know the same family issues, the same job issues, our politics might be different, but if you look at them uh, through the lens of their experience, they're not that different. Ultimately, these are the, this is the majority of humanity right here, as opposed to the folks over here and over here. So scream loud are the ones over here, right? right. And the is a great magnifier for that. So, and, and I say great in the term of it works really well for that, as opposed to a good thing. Right. So, if you, right now, right now, it's conservatives. Okay. It will be, a, there will be a point, and it has been in the past, and it will be again, the folks on the liberal side of things. It will be, this is what culture in this country does. We do this. And sometimes we do this. And sometimes we do, oh, God, this. Um, because... It's, and it's get, it's gotten worse because we have the instant response, right? Yes. And God, I hate I hate doing this because it's not about not about you know kids today or any of that nonsense. But the slower pace of the news 
that we had when you and I were growing up and a lot of people in the, if you're in your forties or fifties or sixties or seventies or anything, if you're below 35, you probably don't have really strong memories of a newspaper once a day, maybe an evening edition. Right. Or the six o'clock news or the nine o'clock news or, you know, um, 2020 on the weekend. Friday night. One, you know, once yeah. once a week, you had this in-depth news reporting on television. But it, it ended up being this thing where you had to think about your response. Mm-hmm. Well, we were teenagers when Nightline got started. That was yeah. that was uh, that was seventy nine right there at the in in the middle of the of the Iranian uh, the Iran hostage crisis. Yeah, so when that started. So this is, this is the, yeah, and this is this is where we come back to the idea thing for me, and that is we're not thinking, we're not considering the big ideas or the small ideas. We're just reacting, and this is where this is where it starts to fall apart in whether it's in fiction or in life, in comics, in books, in TV and film. Mm-hmm. We're not thinking about what we're reading or saying or, or, or watching. The, the folks who watch, and, and sometimes that's not a bad thing, okay? It's not, there's nothing wrong with watching the Avengers movies and not knowing who Adam Warlock is. <laughs> well, although why, Avengers why mattered to Thanos. Yeah, but Avengers uh, Avengers Endgame had a number of ideas layered into it. I I thought I thought oh, sure. it did a really good a good job with that. And 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 when you have those really great stories, you're able to do that. I think they did a fantastic job with that. But yeah. you also look at something like. Um, Oh, I, I don't necessarily want to bash the film because it gets a lot of gets a lot of grief because it's not a good movie. But Affleck's Daredevil, mm-hmm. okay, and and there's nothing inherently wrong with that movie on one level because it's a stripped down, bare bones Daredevil story, right? And nothing wrong with it. Sometimes in the comic books, that's exactly what they're doing. They're giving you an issue or a handful of issues that are a stripped down, bare bones, daredevil story. And then you've got 12 issues of how Matt's life is a disaster. Mm-hmm. They do that every two or three years. And there's a, there's a, there's a YouTuber. Oh, and I can't, I can't think of his name right off the top of my head. Um, he did a comparison with uh, a comparison between comic books of today mm. and comic books of you know the 80s the 70s the 60s so, and uh, one of the ones that he compared was the first issue of Ironheart which is the Riri, Riri Williams iron in the Iron Man suit and Daredevil and the mm-hmm. first and he, it just did a comparison of the first page of those t- of, of two of the of the number one issues of those two mm-hmm. runs and you have so many different ideas presented in the first page of Daredevil number one. You know, there's the boxing connection, there's the organized crime connection, there's 
the he's the hero. He's going after this bad guy. I mean, there, there's all these different layers, panel after panel after panel. There's this boom, 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 boom. And we're setting right. everything up on one page. Mm-hmm. Whereas on Ironheart with Riri Williams, we spent an entire page talking about how smart and bored she is. And there's no setup for the story. There's no establishment of the scenario of, of any kind of scene. It's so just that's she's a, that's bored. an apples to rhinoceroses comparison. And I think I, I, especially especially when it comes to comic books. How? Because you're you're oh, introduced it's the introduction of a superhero. I mean, I, okay. you're comparing yeah, one that, to the other. But how but how people have been consuming those superhero comics is very different now than then. And how storytelling in comics has happened is very different now. So, okay, so so does that justify so does that justify not having a multitude of ideas in the first page as opposed to what they did in Daredevil? It depends on how how the writer is planning on telling their story. And that's where it's different with comics because comics are a sequential art medium. Hmm. And depending on what kind of story you're trying to tell and how it's trying to how you're trying to play it out on the comic itself, what's what's the script? the comic what's the plan you may have very you can you can take a superman comic which is a much more a much better comparison than taking two characters who have nothing in common uh aside from the fact they're both published by a comic book company and they're both superheroes um and you take a superhero comic a superman comic from you know the 1970s and put it against a superman comic from the 1980s or the 50s or the 60s or the 90s or the hundreds or now and they're going to look nothing alike, or so the stories are not going to play out anywhere alike. And that's with the same character, and a character who is established as opposed to the first issue of a new character. There's a that's you really you can't look at those things that that way at all because they don't make any sense. Because story, depending on God, I mean, you look at you look at the first issue of. Sand, Neil Gaiman, Sandman. Mm-hmm. And you look at the second issue and the third issue and the fourth issue, and it took him like issue five before he realized what he was doing with the character he <laughs> created. Yeah. And this is, this is Neil Gaiman, who's like an incredible writer. This is, you can't, I mean, it's, it's a neat idea to compare those two things, but it's not fair to either one of them. Because if you look at a superhero, a Kurt Swan, as much as I love Kurt Swan, during his heyday, doing Superman stories, um, you know, the 60s, the early 70s, right? Um, most of those Superman stories do not hold up well in terms of good writing. Fun writing, I would argue that there are a lot of them are a lot of fun. But are they good? Are they good writing? And that could be a very distinct debate because the styles change. What audience okay. are looking for? So, so let me ask. You, so let me ask you this: Which is sure. more? Which is more important? A story that's crafted well, or a story that entertains and sells? Because ultimately, we're talking about a business here. We're talking about uh-huh. the business of telling stories. That so, becomes that becomes, I think, the question you're running. People are, are probably running into um, all over the place, and always have been. What is what is what is the market? If you're if you have made if you've written an amazing novel, it's genius. Mm-hmm. Everybody, lo- everybody who reads it 
loves it. But that's not what the public is buying right now. You're not going to get published. And you are the quality of the novel or comic book or movie. Oh, God, how many great movies? You and I talk about John Carter all the time. Yeah. Um, you know, is, is, is John Carter perfect? Of course not. Did it deserve better than it got? Of course it did. Yeah. Was it marketed poorly? Yes. So the audience didn't want it. And depending on, and, and the folks you said, you know, the indie market right now that's booming is a, reacting to the fact that they feel that there's an audience and the numbers are apparently backing them up that yeah. isn't served by the comic, by, the, by the, the big names. But the big names are doing the same thing. Except they're doing it from a different angle. Except the people that they're except the people that they're they're aligning with don't buy comic books, don't read comic books, don't care about comic books. Well, they're aligning with. What do you mean? The people well, they're ideologically. Yeah, you know, and, and this goes back to the. Oh, I'm sorry, liberals don't buy comic books. Well. The hell? Don't? No, I'm not saying that liberals don't buy comic books. Wrong? <laughs> I'm not saying that liberals don't buy comic books, but the ones that they're trying to go after, as far as getting getting this, you know, well, look no, look at the comparison. And, and, look at the but, comparison but the between Lord market, of the Rings and the Harry Potter. Is, is that markets correct themselves? Um, we're seeing some of that now. I think. And, and all you have to do is look at the '90s, and that wasn't an ideological thing. That was a crappy writing thing. Well, and, and I think I think the other thing too is that they overextended themselves. Which is starting to see we're we're seeing now with you know because everybody uh, we just had the Diamond Summit Diamond Diamond Comics distribution out in Las Vegas, and almost to a publisher except for Marvel, everybody is pulling back the number of titles that they're going to be publishing because they're not selling. I mean, Batman, the flagship title of DC Comics. Is only selling a hundred and sixty-eight thousand issues. Well, and that shipped. That's not selling at the at the comic book shop. That's just we're shipping them, and you have to buy them, and you can't return the ones you don't sell. Right. But that's the other thing that we saw that that's come out at at the Diamond Summit just just this last few days. Returnability is now a big thing because. It's it's been a problem because the comic book shops, especially with Marvel, they have to buy sixteen thousand million different uh, uh, copies of the original in order to get all of the twenty five hundred different variant covers. Which you th- which you would think you would think after the nineties we would have they would have learned their lesson. You would think, but this they, is they have. this is where almost broke the industry then, and this is why we're comic book shops have so many back issues they cannot sell. Mm-hmm. And this is a, this has been an issue for a very long time. The, the, the lessons that any of these people are learning, and some of the indies, I think, are going to run into this as well. They run into the same problem that the indies had um, in the 90s, where they, they were responding, and we'll see how well it plays out, but I have a feeling this is, we're going to see a lot of this as well. Um, because it's just what people do. You you see an, you see an, a, a need, you decide to fill it. How long that need exists right. is questionable. Or a whole bunch of comic book companies that sprung up in the 80s and 90s that lasted for five, ten years and then imploded because their sales went away. Right. 
and and this is in some cases that wasn't that bad a thing. They were putting out inferior product. And in some cases, it was like, no, this was actually a really good line. Hmm. They just couldn't make the sales. Books bookstores went through this because the book dealer for a long time, um, where it used to be that you could not return books to the publishers, and so you were stuck with them. And this was killing a lot of uh, bookstores. And then finally, the book com bookstore companies, and of course, in those days, you had big names like Barnes and Noble and Borders, who were they. They were the game in town. They owned Walden Books. They owned B. Dalton. They had. They were uh, a serious. You know, they weren't the only ones, but they were. They were the big ones, right? And they got together right. with the, some of the smaller ones, and they looked at the publishers and said, "No, we're going. We're not going to let you tell us you can't return the books, or we won't carry your books." Now, comic book stores don't have that luxury. I am sad to say. Um, yeah, Dim Diamond's got Diamond's got pretty much a, a a monopoly on the market as it is. That's something well, yeah, that I mean, uh, you look at. You look at the folks who are publishing the the big the big name comics are being published by giant companies. They're not yeah. published. You know, Marvel Marvel is not Marvel. DC is not DC. Right. Um, I mean, they are, but they're a division of somebody else. All right, and that. And the higher you go up, the more you're looking at somebody who doesn't care about what's being put out as long as it sells. You know, well, Marvel fiends are going to get, what is it, uh, Adam the Extreme uh, uh, reboot. God, there's a, there's a deep dive into X-Men nonsense because they're, <laughs> they're canceling the entire X-Men line. Yeah, they're rebooting the whole thing. <clears throat> exactly. And, and the, the guy <clears throat> basically said, I pitched it and told them why they should do it. And they said, okay. And he's like, Really? <laughs> well, and and you know, you could make the argument that it feels like um Marvel especially is just throwing mud up against the wall with every time they reboot a book. How many different number ones have they come out with in the last 10 years, 5 years? You know. Well, they, and that's kind of this guy's argument is that if you're going to if you're going to do what I want to do, you need to make it a real thing. Yeah. You can't you can't just sit there and we've we've, re, we've given us a new number one so that we can do a sales thing. He's like, no, no, you have to you have to actually have a reason to do this, and you know this is why I think you should. And he sold it, which is great, and I hope it pays off because there have certainly been enough gimmicky things. Remember lenticular covers? Oh yeah, they're still a thing, uh, and that just makes me sad inside. Yeah, uh, they're pretty. Gee, that sure was pretty. Oh yeah. wait, that's a compliment. But see, but you're getting into you know, like like what Del Rey is talking about. The gimmick is oh, not yeah. is not enough to sell the story. The one little twist is not enough. You've got to have more depth in the story. You've got to have more layers to the story, more substance to the story. Whether it's a comic book or a movie or a book or or a short story or or oh, yeah. anything. And, and I think that I think that. Even even in comic books, you can do you can you can play with a one idea thing for a while and make it work. Um, usually, it's a mini series or something like that, where it's one big thing, right? right. And then everything else is just a spinoff of that one big idea. Um, Clone saga, huh? Clone saga. 
Yeah, well, the, the clone the clone saga doesn't work for this argument because the clone saga was we don't know what we're doing and we're just going to keep flailing around because we had a plan and the sales kept going so they told us to keep going with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Which is you know, uh, being told that your story should come to an end is not a bad thing. Right. I mean, for as much as as much as we all want our stories to go on forever. Um. There's something to be said for, uh, there's something to be said for however it's handled, whether you agree with it or not. There's something to be said for the end of Luke Skywalker's story, for the right. end of Kirk's story, for the end of you know. Not every character can be Doctor Who, where you know you sit there and have the Doctor turn into a new person every three or four years. That's there. It's sto- some stories come to an end and it works and it's important. Um, to tell the end of a story. Right. Sometimes the end of the story is as much about the story itself. Because we can, you know, if you don't have an end, you don't, what are you building to? What's your focus? What's your drive? What's your, what's your destination? Yep. And some stories you can keep doing. Do- Doctor Who works because you can have the doctor go on forever. The doctor's that kind of character. But there was something about Star Trek, The Wrath of Khan and seeing Kirk put his reading glasses on because the character was getting older with the audience. Right. However you feel about, about how, you know, the, uh, uh, how Luke Skywalker's story came to an end, it was an, it was an old man with gray in his beard because Mark Hamill is an old man, older man, no offense, <laughs> um, with gray in his beard. Yeah, and so and so is the are the folks who watch the movies in the first place. Um, the thing about the thing, you know, circle back around to Dune real quick. Um, as much as as much as I appreciate the fact that that you know uh, Herb, Herbert's son and is Kevin is J. It, Anderson and and thank you. Brian as, as much as they felt that there were new stories to tell in that world, um, there was something, even though it wasn't technically the end, there was something satisfying get to the, getting to the end of Herbert's six books mm-hmm. and realizing that it functioned as an ending even though the story wasn't over. Right. The story in Dune. And spoiler alert for a six-novel series that is not remotely a spoiler alert. <laughs> because trust me, I can tell you, I could sit here and talk for two or three hours about the Dune series, and you would still find that I didn't even scratch it. Because it's that in-depth, exactly the kind of big ideas we're talking about. Right. Um, but it is, it's about the cycle. It's about the fact that we, we tell the same kind of big stories about love, about hate, about the politics, about the religion, about the, about humanity, good, bad, ugly, indifferent, the beautiful, the terrible, all these things. It's a story that doesn't end. Humanity's story doesn't end. The rise of empires, the fall of empires, and the whole core of Dune is about the cycle and why it matters for good and for ill. Yeah. And that's not a spoiler. I just told you the entire <laughs> overarching plot. It's not a spoiler, I'm telling you. Um, 
that's it's that kind of thing. And so those huge those end of those six books, and the fact that nothing was written by you know I don't care how many notes he left. For a lot of fans, for all the fact that there's some really interesting ideas in the in the books that were published since Herbert died. Um, his ideas were bigger. Well, and you're going to have that difference because, you know, it's it's different writers, different styles, different voices. Sure, sure, sure. That's just going to be an obvious thing. But but at the same time, I mean, you look, they, they did something, I think, with the later books where they they took away, and this is not, this is not a criticism so much as a recognition of, of maybe what the audience was asking for or maybe what they thought the audience was asking. But there was some. There was always a sense that Herbert didn't care. He was just going to tell you this giant story about religion and gods and politics and man and and betrayal and hope and weird, crazy folding space things that did. You know, I mean, it was just if you. It, this is why it's so hard to make an adaptation of this book. Yeah. One book. One. And it took, you know, David Lynch couldn't do it. Sci-Fi Channel did a decent job. A, de a decent job. But they, even they only, they cut out like two-thirds of the book. And they had to. Because they only had, what, six hours? Six hours. hours. You know, yeah. it's just, um, it's, it's tough. It's tough with these big ideas. And I think that's great to go after them and to chase them, whether it's in comic books, whether it's outside the big companies. Uh, or inside the big companies, whether it's in movies, it's books. Um, I love it when TV shows do it. Um, you know, we, uh, um, okay, uh, person of interest. Talked yeah. about this a couple of times over the years. Yeah. Very simple idea. What if, what if someone invented a piece of AI technology that really, really worked and the government should not be allowed to have it and he went on the run with it? It's a pretty simple idea. It's basically a chase show, right? Right. AI, it's, it's the evils of AI, it's the pros of AI. And that show became about so much more than, um, you know, just those simple ideas. It came about uh, building a family. It became about the, the, the good and bad inside government, the good and bad inside science, the good and, I mean, just explored what made, um, what, what guilt we carried, what, what promise existed in, in um, madness. Uh, I mean, it's just, it ended up being about a lot of different ideas. This was a TV show. Yeah. And the ratings were pretty good, and it kept on the air for a few years and eventually got canceled. And they gave, they gave the show time to wrap up their story. And, but then you go back 10 years, or, or well, go back, go back a little more than 10 years. Um, what a, what it, um, oh, I just there. Gene Roddenberry did one. It was about a, it was about a robot. Uh, the Quester tapes. Quester tapes. Yes. There's a deep dive for you kids at home. <laughs> Quester tapes. Okay, it's about an android trying to find its way in the world. Um, what else was that show about? And Roddenberry was an idea guy. Oh yeah. So I think it's. I mean, it's the how we tell stories. Is. A different thing. Like I said, I, I, I mean, it's I, I, I love what he's talking about, and I think it does apply to to today. I think it does apply to 
but recognizing that that maybe we're being a little too simplistic with our storytelling. And sometimes, again, sometimes a simple story is a good thing. Um, there's a, uh, it just depends on how well it's written. Is it good? Yeah. So, I rant. <laughs> well, speaking of endings, I guess that's a good place for us to end this story. Um, tell us if we're good. Tell us if we're not. Send us an email, h2o at sci-fi.com, the hashtag uh, H2O podcast. And don't forget to check out superherostuff.com for the 10% discount. You use uh, the code sci-fi for me 10 and get 10% off your order. That's going to do it for us this week. Next week, who knows what we'll argue about. Things, stuff, um, and 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 uh, and we will have more than one idea, I'm sure, because we have a tendency to digress a bit. Ooh, I, and, no. uh, and eventually, I'm looking forward to this, but um, we're gonna have to make this a really big, a really big heapum deal um, when we get on to our new set, because when we, because we're in the process right now of moving into a new studio and by july uh we're going to be in an all new brand new place and we're going to have a brand new set and it's going to be all spiffy wow we'll have to do something special for it because i don't even know what episode we'll be on at that point but um but we'll get what are we on now uh right now this is 180 so assuming that we don't skip uh, yeah. Then we're probably going to be about one, one ninety ish. Close enough to two hundred. Close enough. Yeah, we'll figure something out. Um, all right, so that's going to do it for us. Also, uh, also for those of you who are interested in supporting us in a financial way, you can go over and join us on Subscribestar. Uh, $5 a month, you can support us that way. Um, and when you watch us live here on sci-fi for me tv uh we also have the super chat tool that's enabled now so you can drop a dime there as well so uh lots of different ways that you can support us but of course it's all optional and uh you know the big thing that we ask is uh you spread the word share the link um make sure you subscribe hit a hit that uh hit that thumbs up give us a thumbs up and uh and tell people that uh, we're we're doing a, a good job over here and telling good stories. So, okay, I guess that's it. Works for I me. Did, I didn't even have my coffee yet. I'm gonna have to go have coffee. All right. Uh, oh, I forgot to I forgot to mention this at the beginning of the show. Yes. My coffee machine broke this morning. Oh no! Do you need a new one? No, I have my backup one, which oh, is okay. a little workup one. Mm-hmm. Um. So, but. I'm going to have to buy a new coffee maker. Oh, okay. Well, um, I will survive. I will, I will make it through <laughs> with my little forka. Just wait until we get into the new place and <laughs> see what we have. It's going to be, it's going to be really cool. I think I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Um, also, I uh, want to, want to mention here real quick, a programming note. Uh, we've got new episodes of cosplay diaries and tartar sauce this week. As well as uh, Saturday morning, we'll have another Good Morning Multiverse. So be watching for that. So make sure you're subscribed and hit your notification bell so you know when we post things. Next week, a new episode of Salacious Crumbs, which is our Star Wars news program. So we have a lot of stuff happening. And, of course, um, 
we have uh, we have pineapple on Saturday and Sunday nights, and just kind of hang out and shoot the breeze. So uh, you're welcome to join us over there as well. That's going to do it for us tonight. Thanks very much for joining us, folks. This has been the H2O Podcast. We will see you next week. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi for Me Radio. Copyright 2019 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.